You're listening to the Floxy Hope Podcast, Episode 3. Thank you for listening to the Floxy Hope Podcast. My name is Lisa Bloomquist, and I am your host. We have Rachel Brummert with us today. Rachel is the Executive Director for the Quinolone Vigilance Foundation, also known as the QVF. The QVF is a nonprofit. 501c3 charitable foundation devoted to funding research and raising awareness about the dangers of fluoroquinolones and fluoroquinolone toxicity. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Rachel, I have you on the Floxy Hope podcast in order to talk about the QVF and to give our listeners a little bit more information about the QVF. But before we delve into that, can you tell us a little bit about your story of fluoroquinolone toxicity and how you got involved with the QVF? Oh, sure. I, um, I, I took Levaquin in 2006 for a suspected sinus infection that turned out not to be. Um, I also took Cipro when I was in my teens and my 20s, and I didn't connect it at the time, but I had, um, I had tendon issues in my knees, and I had four new surgeries. And now that I know what I know, I, I suspect that, that there might have been a link there. Um, but I took Levaquin in 2006, and after a couple of days, I started feeling really brain foggy. I couldn't think, and I couldn't, um, I couldn't articulate what I wanted to say. And then a month later, I had my first tendon rupture in my ankle. And since then, it's been eight years now, and I've ruptured nine tendons. That's not good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very painful. And, I, you know, I've right. had some spi- spinal issues as well. Right. Uh, I have plates and screws in my neck now because of the, the disc degeneration. And, you know, I developed a neuropathy. And then in 2010... I developed a neurodegenerative disorder called neurosarcoidosis. Um, so I've developed some cognitive defu- dysfunction after that and some neurological issues as well. I'm so sorry, Rachel. That's, oh, that you. is a, a synopsis that uh, really shows the dangers of fluoroquinolones. But my goodness, sorry it's, sorry it's been happening to you. Yeah, and it, it shows how widespread the damage is. You know, some people with the, the musculoskeletal, there's people with neuropathy, there's people with the de- gastric issues. And it, as time progressed, I sort of noticed more and more that there was more of my body that was being affected by it. Right, right. It, it would definitely most accurately be described as multi-symptom illness, you know, like just pinpointing one little thing that's on the 43-page warning label isn't, yeah, isn't, isn't enough. It's, it's really all of those things put, to, put together. So, right. so once you connected that um, both Cipro and Lavaquin had, had hurt you, then you started to advocate with the QVF? Or what is, yeah. what is your history with being involved with the Quinolone Vigilance Foundation? Well, it was, my, it was my ankle surgeon that connected everything for me. You know, he noticed after my second rupture that something wasn't quite right. You know, the first one, it, it just happens. I'm not athletic or anything, but it happens. And then he went over a complete history, and I, I told him that I was on the antibiotic. And he, I, I remember this so clearly. He, he sat on the edge of the exam table, and he put his pen down. And he said, uh, he goes, I, I need to have a conversation with your primary doctor because this explains everything that's happening to you. So after that conversation, I kind of did a little bit of internet research and I found QVF through there. 
and I became the New Jersey ambassador first. And then I was brought in as secretary of QVF. And then in 2012, I was elected executive director. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the history and background and mission of the QVF so people have a little bit more of an idea of what exactly the QVF is? Sure. Uh, QVF was conceived in 2009 under the directorship of David Melvin. He was one of the, the founders of QVF. Um, you know, a board of directors was formed, ambassador program was established, and then, you know, we brought in researchers to help study all of this. And we're a research and advocacy and education organization. We started out strictly as research, and then we branched a little more into advocacy. And this year, we started branching out into educating doctors because we figured if there's a way to get ahead of this so that other people aren't affected, maybe that's a direction that we can take this. So we fund research studies, and we educate patients and doctors, and, you know, we um, we go to pharmacies and we put our materials in there. We have conferences at medical centers, um, you know, because often people don't realize that they've been floxed. And then once we start doing the seminars and once we start handing out information, people are, are a little more able to connect with what's happening to them. Right. Right. Because of the delayed reactions, it's so difficult for both patients and physicians to make yeah. to make the connection. And right. obviously, your regular physician didn't make the connection. It, it took a right. tendon surgeon to really right. inform her that, yeah. that this drug was doing this to you. She right. probably never would have made the connection. No, she did. I mean, she does now, and she doesn't prescribe it unless it's an emergency situation. But, you know, at the time, she she didn't know that there was a connection until he had a conversation with her about it. Sure. Sure. So can we delve into a little bit more detail about some of the things that you just mentioned that the QVF is involved in? You mentioned that the QVF is involved in research. Right. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what kind of research the QVF is doing and um, and what, what doctors are working on? Yeah, we're working with um, Dr. Gollum from um, the University of California at San Diego. Uh, we also work with Dr. Mark Noble from Rochester, New York, and with Dr. Charles Bennett in South Carolina. And the research studies kind of delve into the neurological aspects of it, the neuropsychiatric aspects of it, and especially mitochondrial toxicity, which is where we're trying to put most of our focus into. Um, and that was that stemmed from an FDA report that we had obtained stating that the FDA knows that there's mitochondrial toxicity and that it can lead to the neurodegenerative disorders, Parkinson's, ALS, Alzheimer's, and neurosarcoidosis, which is what I have. Right. Right. Um, one thing that I know about Dr. Dr. Gollum from her interview with Dr. Mercola that I, I heard a, a while ago, actually, that I want to mention is that she does not accept any sort of funding from uh, pharmaceutical companies, which is actually a very difficult thing for a research scientist to do. It's it's quite hard to make a living. It's hard to make ends meet. It is. Um, yeah. when, you, when you are not accepting any sort of funds from pharmaceutical companies. But right. can you expound on that a little bit more? Sure. Um, the researchers that we work with do not accept any kind of funding from the pharmaceutical companies. 
Um, and that's something that, that we are very vigilant about. We will not work with a researcher that accepts donations that could be considered a conflict of interest. So Dr. Noble, he also is not afraid to stand up to the drug companies, and neither is Dr. Golem or Dr. Bennett. So we're very happy to be working with upstanding researchers like them. Yeah, that's that's really that's fantastic, and yeah. I'm really glad that these researchers are willing and able to work with the QVF and to be working on fluoroquinolone toxicity, um, and that that there just are some research scientists out there who are willing to just stand up to the pharmaceutical companies. I really thank them for their for their work, just in case they're out there listening to Foxy Hope yeah, Podcast. We're, we're so we're very honored to be working with them. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's great. Um, I know that Dr. Gollum's CV is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, she's she is an amazingly intelligent and qualified person. So she is, yes. So to have her working on this is is really fantastic. And it is, yeah. We're very fortunate. Yep, yep. Thank you for for coordinating that for sure. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned advocacy. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the advocacy efforts that have been going on lately? Sure. Um, you know, we have the ambassador program. We have two dozen ambassadors right now, and we're in several different countries. So what we do is we provide them with information so that they can go to doctors and pharmacies and they can educate them and, and make them more aware of this. And we have materials all over the country and all over the world. We've sent them brochures and awareness cards. Um, and that is mostly in part to the ambassadors. And they, they work very, very hard in their communities. That's great. Yeah. So who are these ambassadors? Can you tell me more about the ambassador program? Sure. You know, most of them have been affected in some way by fluoroquinolones. Um, and there's also some who have a close family member. So they, you know, they have knowledge of this already. And they have the passion to go out to these, these different doctors and, and, and help us network with other professionals. We're trying to get research studies in other countries. So it's not, you know, the ambassadors, they don't just do awareness. They try to bring in doctors and they try to bring in researchers. And they try to make their stories known and reach out to the media. So there, there's a lot of things that the ambassadors are responsible for. That's great. So if people want to become an ambassador in their local region, what should they do? Um, well, we have a lot of information on our website. And Donna Schutz, who is also the assistant director, she's the ambassador coordinator. And what she'll do is she'll have a conversation with whoever wants to be involved and get to know their story and what their, their background is. And then she would send them the information that they need so that they can make a difference in their own communities. And everything is up on our website for information about that. And just so our listeners know, the website for the QVF is saferpills.org. So that's www.saferpills.org. And safer and pills is all is all smushed together. Right. So so hopefully some people will some more people will reach out. Is the ambassador program kind of like the more the merrier type of thing? Absolutely. Matter of fact, we have um we have ambassadors in several cities in their respective states. So we have several in California, and we, we hope to have an ambassador in every major city in the United States and all over the world. That would be great. Yeah, we're happy to have anybody who, who would like to volunteer. Fabulous. Fabulous. You also mentioned in your intro of the QVF that you guys mm -hmm. put on seminars. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Sure. Um, we, we reached out to Progressive Medical Center in Atlanta, Georgia in June, and we did a seminar there, and we educated about 30 doctors there. And that's where the idea sort of started in trying to get other medical centers involved. So I've been to various medical centers around my tri-state area, which is New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. And I reached out to the major hospitals and asked them if we can come in and provide materials to the doctors and do the same thing as what we did in Atlanta. And we're really having a lot of success with that. You know, we, we do get a little pushback from certain um, certain aspects of uh, physicians. Like, for example, we have a little bit of trouble with you know, urology. But overall, we've had a lot of success. And these doctors are reconsidering how they prescribe these medications. In two hospitals in New Jersey, I've met with their medical board and we're trying to rewrite their policy so that these drugs can be safely prescribed if they are needed. That's fantastic. Yeah, That's it's really it's huge. Great. Yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity. We're really happy. And we have medical centers reaching out to us now instead of us knocking on the door. So obviously we're making a difference. Yeah. Yeah, obviously the doctors or the, the hospital administrators, they're talking to each other and and asking you to come in. Like that's really that's really phenomenal. Like yeah, I always it's the great thing. Yeah, is that you know they can all work together and that's really what our goal has been for so many years and it's it's really nice to see that come to fruition. Right. Right. I always say that, you know, one person that we keep from, from taking a fluoroquinolone is, is a success. Or one doctor who stops prescribing fluoroquinolones, except for in the most dire emergencies, if we could yeah. stop that one doctor, then that can, yeah. that can affect hundreds or maybe even thousands of lives. And yeah, if you get absolutely. a hospital to quit... Yeah. Yeah, that would be really huge. You know, these, these medications were prescribed for anthrax and the plague. And when you think about that, these are powerful medications that are given for anthrax and the plague, and yet they're routinely given out for sinus infections. And there is something very wrong about that. Yeah, and especially when you consider their mechanism for action. When you, when you even look at the drugs that are topoisomerase interrupters. And, and mm -hmm. certainly, like, we don't need to go into the science of it, but all of the other drugs that are topoisomerase interrupters are chemotherapy drugs. Right. These should be classified as chemotherapy drugs. They should be, yes. And it's absolutely ridiculous that they're given to people for sinus infections, for unverified sinus infections. Yeah, not only that, you know, they, they give these drugs to children as well, and that's even, that's even more deplorable. Right. Right. I mean, it just makes my heart ache. Yeah, it, it's really sad all around, and we hope to we we hope to reverse some of that and make things a little more safer, so that people know what they're getting into. You know, we think that these hospitals, medical centers, doctors, there should be informed consent before a patient is given any of this kind of medication, and there should be a protocol in place about how they're prescribed, who they're prescribed to, what it's for. Right. Right. These are dangerous drugs. They should not they be prescribed lightly. Right. Right. When people are prescribed warfarin, they get informed consent. They get people talking to them about the possibility of internal bleeding. Yes. Um, when someone is prescribed fluoroquinolones, they don't get 
they don't get informed of the possibility of multi-symptom chronic illness. They don't get informed yeah. about the possibility of Parkinson's down the road. They don't get informed about the possibility of rupturing tendons while getting out of bed. Even yeah. though there's the black, the black box warning on it about the tendon ruptures, I think even, even those are downplayed by a lot of doctors and at least, and people just don't know about it. Yeah, the the warnings are definitely not sufficient in any way. And even if there was something on the label, it's often hidden in other language. Right. Right. And who reads warning labels anyhow? I and mean, certainly I didn't before I got Fox, and I certainly do now. But I think that most people out there are how I was before I got floxed. Just, you know, you, if you read the warning label, you would never take a drug. And so, oh, yeah, they just don't mean anything. Yeah, I took the drug before the warning labels came out. I took it in 2006, and the tendon rupture warning came out, I believe, in 2008. But even so, there's a lot of people who don't read the warnings. And if there is, there's a tiny little thing, and they say it's a rare side effect. And it is not in any way. Right. Right. We, we certainly know that. So back to, let's just backtrack a little bit and go back sure. to the QVF. Can mm -hmm. you tell me how the QVF is funded? Well, we, we take in private donations, and we are in the process of applying for a grant. And we made it very clear to our grant officer that we will not accept any grant money from anything that has a connection to the pharmaceutical industry. But mostly we get it from private donations through PayPal. Um, you know, we, we have a post office box where, where checks can be sent, and we have a bank account set up and everything. And information about how people can donate to the QVF is on the QVF website, which again is saferpills.org. Right. And the PayPal information is on there. The address is on there. Um, mm -hmm. don donations are appreciated, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, every, every penny helps. And anything that we could put toward advocacy and research. Um, you know, I, I also want to say that we do not take a salary. There is not one person within QVF, not me, not anyone who's a board member, a volunteer, or an ambassador. We do not take a salary. We put the money where it's supposed to go, which is into research and advocacy and education. So if you're looking for an organization to give money to where 100% of the proceeds go to uh, the mission of the organization and none of it goes to overhead, donate right. to the QVF. Yeah, we often pay out of pocket for administrative, uh, administrative uh, costs so that we can put the money where it deserves to be. That's, that's great. That's really fantastic. So... Being an ambassador, is that the main way that people can get involved with the QVF? Is there anything else? Um, really, you know, we have, um, we have a print and download section on the resources tab of our website where if you want to download our brochures or awareness cards or research studies, you can download it and you can give it to your doctor or do something within your community. And you don't need to be an ambassador to do that. That's great. Thank you for making those resources available to people. Yeah, you know, I, being armed with information is really the best way to combat this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, mo most definitely. Is there anything else that you would like to share about the QVF? Uh, well, we work with a couple of law firms, too. There's, um, there's the, the lawsuits for the peripheral neuropathy, and there are three law firms that we're working with right now. Clarkson Law Firm was the first one to take these cases on. Uh, so he's been carrying the flag for this for well over a year. Um, and we work with Ryan Clarkson from Clarkson Law Firm. 
Uh, we also work with Thomas Sims from Barron and Bud Law Firm, and they just filed the first round of federal and state lawsuits for these cases for peripheral neuropathy. And they did that, I believe it was in August. Um, and they've been working really, really hard. We're so proud of the work that they do. And we just brought in Gallagher and Kennedy Law Firm from Phoenix, Arizona, and we work with Lincoln Combs and Mark O'Connor for that. That's that's great. Thank you very much for coordinating with all of those with those law firms. And I hope that they go all the way. I think all of us do. Everyone in the community hopes that yeah. justice is gained for for the victims who are able to pursue legal recourse. I can yeah. I can tell you that they are very very dedicated to the community. We're very lucky to have them. Um, they all work together. And Barron and Bud is a national law firm, and um, I actually met Thomas Sims from Barron and Bud on December eighth, and and that was that was a real joy to meet him. Yeah, when I've talked to him on the phone, Tom Sims has been just seems like a a very smart person, a very stand up guy, someone who is, who yeah. who very much cares about making sure that everything is taken care of in the right way as as yeah, well as he can. Yeah, he's, he's very dedicated, and he is not afraid to go up against the Giants. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic, because I'm sure that Bear and Johnson & Johnson have some scary lawyers. So they we, do. We, yeah. so, so we need good ones on our side. We do, yeah. They, but, uh, they, they can be ruthless. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure they can, but... You know, we we have a whole lot of scientific evidence on our side, and we have we have people who are legitimately hurt, and they legitimately deserve to be compensated. So, yeah, so yeah. I, you know, and we you know we hear from people that you know maybe their cases couldn't go forward, and that that breaks my heart because I think everybody should get justice. You know, and at the same time, these lawsuits can open the doors for other other lawsuits to happen. So. You know, while it really saddens me a lot that not everybody can get justice, in the long run, it's going to help everybody. Yeah. Yeah, mo most definitely. Like, it will, yeah. it will push, the, push the, um, the arrow. So Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of research on our side, and there's really wonderful advocates. Uh, all, you know, there's, there's support groups online. You know, there's us, there's other organizations, and we're all working together. And I, I, that's, that's a beautiful thing to make some changes. Right. Right. We, we all have the same goals. We do. For sure. So thank you so much for sharing all this information about, oh, about the QVF. Is there, is there anything upcoming that you would like people to be excited about or be on the lookout for, or be spreading the word about, anything like that? Yeah, we do. We actually have some, some good news. We've, we're arranging for a fundraising concert in March, and we don't have a date set, and we don't have a venue set. Um, but there's about five or six bands who are interested in helping with this fundraiser, and they're donating their time. We don't have to pay them anything. They're, they're happy to help us. And we're going to have information available and hopefully raise a lot of awareness about this through that. So we're really looking forward to, to doing that. We've been working with their promoter, and we, we hope to hammer out some details very soon. That's fantastic. That's a great, a great way to get the word out to a whole concert hall full of people. Um, yeah, you know, the, you know, there's been news stories about, about these. So that's, you know, that's one aspect of, of advocacy. And, um, you know, bringing in these fun fundraisers, too, it's, um, it's a good marriage, I think. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to it and yeah. um, hopefully I will be able to fly to wherever the, the concert is and have a good yeah, night. We know, we know it's going to be in Virginia, but that's all we know right now. <laughs> okay, great. I'll, I'll keep my calendar open for a concert in March in Virginia. Yeah, we will announce it as soon as we have details about that. That sounds great and very yeah. exciting, Rachel. Thank you. So anything else that you'd like to share? Um, I think the only thing that I, that I might have missed is that um, there was a pediatric safety committee in Bethesda, Maryland on September 23rd. And we submitted comments to the FDA and we submitted documentation to the FDA, which was presented at that meeting. So we have information that we're providing to the FDA to change the way these drugs are being prescribed to children, especially. Um, and my understanding is that it's been forward, forwarded to the CDC. So, you know, we're, we're gaining some ground with that as well. That's great. Thank you for your efforts there, too. Yeah, happy, happy to help the community in any way we can. Fantastic. So I think that those are all of my all of my questions. Thank you so much for your willingness to take the time to answer my questions and to share with the Foxy Hope podcast audience all of this great information about what the QVF is and what the QVF is doing. And um, for all of those people who want to get involved, the website is saferpills.org. Thanks yes, so much, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 